Hello, this is Umida Switlow and it's the International Development Week and it's 20, 2010. Um, we are, uh, I'm sitting in my office and lucky to have found a returned volunteer named Gil Mervin who served with us in Guyana. Hi Gil. Hi. How are nice. you? I'm very well. Good. Nice to meet you and nice to be here. Oh, pleasure. So, Guyana, what year was it? I almost hate to admit it, but it was back in 1969 when I first arrived in, in Guyana. Oh, uh, I served for a total of three years there. Um, I never validated this, but uh, at the time, my understanding was that uh, I was the youngest volunteer uh, to be assigned by CUSO at that time. I had just turned 20. Oh, wonderful. Uh, when I took on that assignment, so I was young and fresh and ready to see the world. And had you finished university already? No, actually I, I chose a path which would get me to CUSO quickly. Oh uh, my goodness. When I was uh, in high school, I had seen on television advertisements for Peace Corps, and it really excited me to see what, uh, the, what opportunities Peace Corps would provide. So I went to my high school counselor and said, you know, I, I know I can't apply to Peace Corps, but does Canada have anything the equivalent, and uh, I was referred to CUSO, so I looked into CUSO, found out that unlike CUSO, or sorry, unlike Peace Corps, uh, CUSO required qualifications. You couldn't be a student just learning. Yes. Uh, you, you, you had to have something to offer. Yes. Uh, so amongst other interests I had, I, I chose the quickest route I could get to, to attain qualifications that would qualify me to go away with CUSO. So I pursued a technical degree. Uh, I went to BCIT in Burnaby, and I graduated with a uh, diploma of technology in building technology. And, and CUSO had a, a, a local committee working at BCIT, so I contacted that local committee and uh, went through the interviewing process. And I was um, accepted to CUSO before I graduated. So I, was, I, I had a, a path in mind. I was, I was going to go away with CUSO. Has your whole life been like that? That's like, <laughs> I must say, having a 23-year-old, I'm just so surprised yeah. to hear straight up. This is my first story that I've ever heard of anybody that determined at yeah. such a young age. That's yeah. We're lucky to have had you then. Well. <laughs> three years, and you yeah. stayed three years out there. It was a two-year, it was like, like all CUSO contracts at that point, it was uh, a two-year contract. As I drew close to the end of my second year, I knew that uh, there were things that I still wanted to do. I wasn't finished, uh, and I applied for and was uh, granted a further extension. What did you do there? Uh, another interesting story. Yes, that's <laughs> what these are. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, one has to understand in all aspects of life, that things don't always turn out the way they were originally planned to. Mm -hmm. uh, the position I was originally assigned to with CUSO in Guyana was to work with the Ministry of Housing and I was to um, advise on housing cooperatives initiatives uh, within the country. It was a, uh, it was at the time the Cooperative Republic of Guyana. That's, that was its that was the official country's title. Name. Uh -huh. and, and cooperatives initiatives uh, were, were very um, important and very a, a prominent aspect of its approach. Uh, so I look forward to that position. Uh, I went through the orientation program, which was in uh, uh, Antigonish, uh, in Nova Scotia. Uh -huh. And partway through that, I was called into a meeting, and I was told, uh, we have some bad news for you. Uh, the position that you were going to is no longer available. Uh, CUSO had a policy that they would not assign a volunteer to a position for which there was a, uh, a, a local person. 
person available to fill that had the, the qualifications. And yes, I would. certainly understood that. Yeah, we wouldn't want to take jobs away <laughs> no. from people in countries. No, yeah, no, absolutely not. So uh, I was given two choices. I could either go home, which I really didn't want to do. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, or I could take a different position, and the position was teaching at, a, at the Government Technical Institute. Now the downside of that was that the CUSO orientation at that time, if you were going away in a teaching position, you had five weeks of teacher training before you took you you got the, the general orientation. Well, I had come for the general orientation. I hadn't received any teacher uh, training whatsoever. But I thought, well, I want to go, so I'm going to take this on. So <laughs> off I went to take on a, a teach a position. Uh, as lecturer at the Government Technical Institute in the building department. So what really came of that, I, a recent graduate, I basically came out of school myself and became the teacher. Uh, in uh, building technologies, I taught uh, concrete technology, building sciences, and drafting are the, the subjects that I, that I taught. So it was a, uh, a very quick learning curve that I had to go on. But if we, if we want to talk about what has CUSO done for me in my time for CUSO, it has consistently presented me with challenges that <laughs> you, don't, yes. you don't have an option. You have to, to perform. And perhaps in, in our home situation, we may take an easier route or we may draw upon other resources that we could call upon. Uh, at that time, and I suspect it's the same today, at CUSO you use what you've got and you, you work with it and you run with it. And you very quickly learn that you have a lot more internal resources than you ever thought you had. So, so for me, that CUSO experience was a really growing experience and a, and a proving ground for me. Well, that just made me gulp <laughs> because it just is, it is very true, I think, about working in, in um, the developing world or in the South. You really have to find those resources within yourself to do those things. So. How old were the students that you taught? They must have been very close to your age. Uh, many of them were older than I was. Uh, yes. They were as old as 40. Uh, it was an interesting range of students that I had. Uh, they, the students were drawn from all over the country. Uh, many of them came from Amarillo. Uh, so that was the dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, there were uh, students that were drawn from various government ministries. Uh, that. Again, this was part of their cooperative initiative where they were training people to build their own homes or to become part of cooperative to build their own homes. Um, and we also had students that were coming through the normal flow of education. So I would say that the youngest students would probably have been about 16 and the oldest went up to about 40. The majority of my students were older than I was. Wow. Uh, one, one of the difficulties I had, was, <laughs> and it was typical in those days, that you you immediately got the title of Sir. You know, yes. I was very uncomfortable with Sir. <laughs> that I did not like and I, I encouraged them to, to call me by my first name, that type of thing. Yes. <laughs> I just, I, I, being from Africa, I tend to use the words uh, the Sir quite a bit. Yes. Parking lot attendants to professors at university, <laughs> I use that word. And right. I always notice Canadians slightly uncomfortable with that word. That is very true. And I was, very much so, especially when my students were older than I was. So mm. I was, I preferred Mr. Mervyn or Gail, you can call Gail. me Gail as we, we became more familiar. Um, I think one of the reasons I stayed for that longer period is I developed very close associations with my students. Um, I was able to 
meet or socialize with many of their families. I uh, got to know them and their situations better that way. And as I say, this, the students were drawn from all over um, the country. Uh, Guyana is not, well, it, by landmass, it's a fairly large country. Population yes. is less than a million people. Yes. At the time, it was 800,000. Wow. And today, it's still. It's still <laughs> it's, small. It's, it's very, very small. We have a volunteer on assignment, on her second assignment mm -hmm. there. So, Gil, you get on a plane, you get to Guyana. What's the name of the town that you work Georgetown. in? Georgetown. Georgetown. It was the capital. The capital. Yeah. And um, where did you live when you were there? Uh, we lived in several different locations. Um, one of the things I, I noticed different with CUSO today, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the numbers of volunteers are considerably reduced. Much so. Um, I think, um, I haven't looked at it in detail, but looking at the, the website, it looks like you have 40 or so volunteers currently placed. In the field, like 200, about 250 in a year. And, but at, at any given time, there's about 40 or so in, in field or more than uh, that? A little bit more than, little that. More than that. But in your day, yeah. that was totally different, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. Well, we would have probably about 15 in Guyana when I was serving. Wow. Um, in Ghana, West Africa, later on in my career when I was field staff officer, I was responsible for 60 volunteers. So it's, it's a very different situation. Uh, so back to the question, where did I live? Uh, there were a number of us that arrived at the same time, and we <coughs> we lived cooperatively. We rented a house and we shared a house, um, and we um, I think it was about four of us at a time. As a matter of fact, there were three QSOs and two VSOs. Oh, how oh, nice! That, okay. That that house, so. Now I'd love for you to try and recall any of those names. Oh my! <laughs> any of them? Oh, our <laughs> well, Glenn Hanke, uh, the CUSA volunteers, yeah. uh, Glenn Hanke, uh, Hickman Wong, uh, a couple of Michaels. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, I'm off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. You know what? What we can do is we have wonderful sof uh, software with all these names, and we're trying to find them all over the world. So, I, you know, it would be great if you bump into any of those old uh, uh, return volunteers. PSO or QSO, that would be great. So it wasn't the end for you. You finished the three years, and then you're still kind of engaged in mm -hmm. QSO in some way. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, I, um, I finished my term with QSO when I, in, in Guyana. Uh, I might mention another opportunity that gave me is uh, another QSO volunteer and I, at the end of our, our volunteer stint, rather than flying back to Canada, while we were in Ghana, or Guyana, uh, we had motorcycles. Uh, that was yes. our mode of transportation. So we decided to, to ride back to, to Canada. So oh we, my we, goodness! <laughs> so we drove our motorcycles from, from Guyana to uh, Vancouver. Uh, How long did that take? About five weeks. It, uh, so it was a, a, That's a wonderful, once again, a wonderful opportunity that I would never have had if it wasn't for the, the QSO experience. Gosh. Anyway, I uh, returned to Vancouver and set about uh, readapting to the Canadian lifestyle. I reconnected with friends and whatnot. And as you often find with, with these types of experiences, I, uh, especially after being away for three years, you've changed, they've changed, you're not really <coughs> tuned in to the same things. And, yes. uh, I, I felt a bit, well, talk about that culture shock. It works both ways. Yeah. Sure, there's culture when you're shock. going when and you, you come first, back. But when you come back, that's right. Um, but the, the re-entry was, was good. I enjoyed being home again with friends and family, but uh, I wanted to go away with CUSO again. I wanted to, be, to stay involved with CUSO. Um, 
And while I was working uh, in Vancouver, uh, I noticed a position for the regional coordinator position with, uh, with CUSO. Kind of like what I do. That's right. Uh -huh. uh, I applied for that position. Uh, to make a very long story short, uh, I wasn't successful that, for that position, but it opened up an opportunity. I was offered a position which was in fact a training position for field staff officer working in the Ottawa Secretariat, um, which I took. Uh, and to complicate the story further, um, <laughs> between the time that uh, I was offered that position and and uh, actually going away for it, I became engaged and married. Oh! <laughs> so there was now two of us. <laughs> uh, but my wife was uh, also interested and supportive of uh, going overseas again, so the two of us um, moved to Ottawa uh, in preparation for going yet again overseas. Uh, after six months in Ottawa, I was assigned as the field staff officer for Ghana in West Africa. So I continued my working with, with QSO in a, in a different way. Yes. Uh, and I must say the, the experience of working as a volunteer versus a paid administrator is very different. It my, is. my circle of friends, my involvement was very different. It was not as much of a, a cultural experience as I had experienced in mm. Guyana. Uh, as it was more of a, a very significant supportive role. Um, a major part of my job at that time was supporting volunteers. <coughs> a large number of volunteers working in education, in, in health, agricultural extension, um, spread throughout the entire country. Uh, so I did a lot of trekking around Ghana as I went to ensure that things were going well, providing them the support they needed at the same time scouting out new possible placements for QSO. Um, very exciting time, for sure. Was that a, how long was that assignment? Uh, two years. <clears throat> so you did that, two years of that? Mm -hmm. That's my dream job, actually. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm working towards. Good for you, yes. To, to, do, to work in a country and do, play that supportive role. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you came back after doing that and what did Gil do for the rest of his life? Because I think he would well, have done some amazing yeah, things. Yeah, there's a part of that story which uh, is significant, and that is um, originally when my wife and I first planned to go overseas, we were both looking for positions that we could uh, be gainfully, I don't want to say gainfully employed, make a significant contribution. That's mm -hmm. what we wanted to do. Uh, my wife's uh, occupation is occupational therapy, and when we first inquired about uh, oh. work opportunities in in Ghana, and we were told, yes, there's a lot of opportunities, but there was a confusion between occupational therapist and physiotherapist. Yes, and yes. And when we arrived, we discovered that there wasn't really uh, a work, any, any um, position for her, and she became a non-working spouse. Oh. Um, and so we decided, well, uh, since we're here and you're not working, this is a great time to start a family. <laughs> I was just... I was just thinking, babies come. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what happened. So uh, after a year, uh, we had our first child, and she was born in, in Ghana. And that's what's right. her name? Uh, she has a Ghanaian second name. Her second name is Ama. Ama. Uh, yeah, okay. she's that girl girl child born on Saturday. So Ama, a Cuso baby born in Ghana. Ghana that's okay. right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what do we call her? Mini Merv. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> So that, that's part of the story too. We, um, it wasn't originally our plan to start a family that, that young, uh, but circumstances dictated that. And um, so we felt the pull of returning to Canada, mm -hmm. the, the need to be with family. Um, back then I, I 
toyed with the idea of uh, raising a child as a as an uh, citizen of the world, an international child, one that one that doesn't necessarily um, equate to any given nationality. And I think there's some positives to that. But when I reflected back on my own being, my own history, and the pride I have in being Canadian, yes, I, I really felt it was important to come home, raise our family in Canada, establish roots uh, for the children. So yes. uh, my career in international development took a change yes. <laughs> very quickly. Um, so what did I do? We, we came back. Um, I looked at private industry and I looked at um, uh, public service and uh, chose public service. I started working with the city of Vancouver and uh, have had quite a, a varied career uh, working with municipal government. Uh, I started out working with the city of Vancouver in an area that um, reflected my training <coughs> with okay. my diploma in technology and building technology. I was hired with the planning department oh, okay. uh, in the um, development permit group is what it was and I spent uh, about a year or so um, plan checking on new developments, apartments, townhouses, that sort of thing, which I, I was qualified to do. Um, but it was too technical. <laughs> and yes. it, it was working behind the scenes at a desk and it wasn't particularly what I was interested in, but it was employment <laughs> and that's what was important. Yeah, with coming baby. Back. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but a position came up uh, within um, the city of Vancouver, uh, which was a federal government program called RAP, uh, the Residential Rehabilitation Assistance Program. Uh -huh. And what it did, uh, it was a wonderful position. It, uh, I was in a position that I could give away money. <laughs> um, it provided uh, grants and low interest loans for the rehabilitation of homes. And we were right. dealing primarily with seniors. And so it was putting me back in the area of uh, being more socially oriented. Uh, also gave me the opportunity to use some of the administrative skills that I had learned while I was with CUSO. Wow. So it, was a, it was a nice combination of um, utilizing my technical uh, educated skills and as I say the administrative skills I had developed over the years. So all and these years go by and you've just retired, and what was your last position? Uh, municipal clerk for the, the Corporation of Delta. That's and, uh, an amazing job. That's a complicated job. <laughs> it's a very interesting job. People. Yeah. Social justice. That's right. My goodness. Yeah. And dealing with issues. Dealing issues. With, with current issues. Now, one of the, the difficulties of a position of municipal clerk mm -hmm. is you are totally unbiased. You have no opinion. Absolutely. You, you're there for uh, process. Yes. You're there to ensure public engagement. You're ensure that information is readily available. You're there to support the decision makers, but yes. you don't make decisions. <laughs> right. uh, so there's a bit of frustration there. Um, but in terms of being in a position that facilitates good government, absolutely. So with skills like that, I can imagine now that you're retired, you have this driving force to come and surf with us, that somehow I'm going to see you again. I hope so. Uh, I hope so. Filling in an application and serving again overseas somewhere or working with us. Yeah. At the moment, I'm looking for an opportunity to work with you. I want to be able to use my skills um, to promote um, CUSO 
and encourage others and facilitate others to have a similar experience that I did. Now, again, I'm sure the CUSO experience of today is different than mine in many ways, yes. but it will also be similar. <laughs> I'm it sure. will also be similar. <laughs> it will. The needs are still there. So I, I can't thank you enough for spending time with me today, especially at the International Development Week. When we think about all the Canadians now, um, almost 15,000 uh, people have served with us in uh, over 40 countries around the world. And I added up just the average and just roughed out 35 million service hours mm -hmm. since we started in 1961. It's amazing. Yes, and you're, so that's one hour for every Canadian. Wow. So <laughs> you're part of that formula. Probably you're, you probably tipped the formula on the other side because I had no idea that your, well, I knew you were a three term, three year term, but I had no idea you also worked with us for two years. Mm -hmm. So to your family, thanks for your service with us, and I hope continued service with us in the future. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much.